Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only episode where it takes four days to get a final score counted, and if it's within 1%, we recount the whole shoot and match. I'm your host for tonight, Mark Tusky, along with my co-host, Jake Kloppenstein. Jake, how's it going? Doing wonderful, my man. Um, do you ever consider, like, if you're off by like a less than a percentage point in an 18xx to tie? It's just that the money's too granular to quite figure it out. It's an interesting point because, I mean, there's so many chips flying around the table that it wouldn't surprise me in the least if somewhere, somewhere, someplace down the road, a couple of bucks didn't go here or there and you didn't have a bright dollar to buy an extra share. Or, I don't know. It's an interesting argument. Absolutely. And God, I do wonder how many times our early plays when we were still bad at poker chips. I was still quite bad at them now because of COVID and not using them, but I've gotten a lot better. And I do wonder how many times someone just didn't get paid. And we'd always do the poker chip on the stack certs thing. So who knows? Yeah. The one that I always miss out on is like, I'm busy calculating my next move and I own some random share of somebody that's on the other side of the table and they just kind of go, oh, I ran for 18. <laughs> I'll just right. never take my 18 bucks for that. And for just didn't even hear them or forget about them. And you gotta be good about putting the poker chips on the stacks of the certs. You gotta do it. Yep. 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 That's a habit I need to acquire. So Anyway, tonight we have a very fun special episode for you. Tonight is our top 20 of 2020, Mark's edition. It's a 2020-2020. We should have recorded this on like the 20th day of January or something. I don't know. It might be the 20th of November before this gets released. Oh, we'll see. It should be the February 20th. That's a probably as many twos as we could do. <laughs> little fun fact about me. I used to be not good at sports when I was a little kid. I was always like pretty coordinated and athletic, but I would spend too much time focusing on all the different like permutations I could do of math among the different numbers on my opponents and my own team's jerseys. So like <laughs> if it was like a one and a three next to a four or like 13 next to a four, I was like, oh, one plus three, that's four. Sweet. <laughs> and it ended up affecting my athletic career. I could have been a pro, man. As the point guard dishes off the uh, hot layup to you and tags you right in the side of the cheek. Oh, I know, just hit. But, but instead of being a professional athlete, I'm sitting here talking about your top 20, the 2020 Palooza <laughs> of board games, my man. My nerdy side won out. It's been a whole year since we've done this one and figured it was time to update that and see what a year of uh, largely isolation and a lack of Cult of the New would actually do to our list and see where we really are in terms of what our favorite games are as of November 2020. And before we go into this, all the Team Jake people, you can just listen to the next episode because this is all about Mark. Indeed. It's going to be all about your your list. We thought that was a better way to break it than 10-10 from each one of us. And I think it's way more fun just to talk about all your games than talk about all my games. Yeah, procedurally, what we're going to do is Jake's going to kind of... Uh, I don't know. What are you going to say? You're going to moderate this episode, right? I'm the gala host of this evening. Maybe more snarkily. That's kind of my goal. There we go. Absolutely. And by the way, if I do have eight Uvo Rosenberg games on my top 20 list, by all means, I expect heckling. Hmm, I think you should expect heckling regardless of what your top list is. <laughs> but before we go into that, we have a handful of kind of things we should explain before we go into this. How did you make your list, Mark? What did you use? There's this nifty tool out there called PubMeeple. And what PubMeeple does is it allows you to upload your entire collection that you're already storing out on BoardGameGeek. Right, peeps? You're all doing that, right? You should. Anyway, you upload that, and then you go through, and it literally pairs A versus B. B versus C, C, you know, and it goes through and has you do all this. Would you you like this one better than this one? And it doesn't say, like, is it a better game or do you like it more? That's completely subjective 
at the end of the day, what it does is it basically just creates a big old big old tree out of that information and figures out which one you ultimately like the best. Now, it's not perfect because it doesn't do every single possibility. Like if you like A better than B and B better than C, that doesn't necessarily mean that you like A better than C. Right. It fills in the gap saying that connecting some of the games, which is frustrating, especially with how subjective and different some of these games are to compare all of them. Yeah, for sure. Because there are certainly cases where you look at it afterwards and you go, hmm, I don't like that one quite that much. Or there, or the other side of it, too. It's like the, oh, yeah, that really isn't one of my top 10 least favorite games for sure. Gotcha. And any tie circumstances, what would you do? Was there like a certain mentality you had? Like if this one would be played more, would you do that? Or was it I would rather have if I could copy paste myself five times what we'd play, you know? So last year, what we did is we had to find an arbitrary line in which to draw a cutoff so that we aren't doing literally thousands of comparisons, because at a certain level, some of the comparisons become ludicrous. Like, how do you realistically compare a game like, you know, some of the lightest oinks out there versus a eight hour long 18xx and meaningfully try to compare those two? You really can't. So last year, what my rule was is these were all kind of I I would call them like a game night night this would be like an event game right so I cut out anything that was a filler and I also purposely didn't do 18xx last year because I couldn't figure out how to wrap that into the world and have it make sense because it is such a different thing than a lot of the other games in my list right and then I'm sure all of the listeners are very excited to know whether or not you included 18xx last year because I did and I included it as a category and I got some flack for that and you just completely nipped them out of your list entirely correct Last year I did. And uh, to be honest, the first time I tried going through this, I tried including it as a category. And again, it just seemed weird. So I finally decided how I was going to call it down to the group I was going to write this year. So my official collection this year is all 18xx's plus Mm. all games that either played singly or as a group of games normally would be 45 minutes or more. So basically anything that's a 45 minute or longer commitment. There are some smaller games in that bunch, but they're smaller games that I would typically play for an hour or two at a crack. That makes sense. Just because I'd play it multiple times over and over. Like the crew is a great example of that, right? You don't just play one game of the crew and put it back in the box. You typically play four, six, eight, ten adventures in a row, which amounts to an hour or two. Right. When I think that explains kind of the mentality here, like fillers intrinsically in their name fill you know, right. around other yes. games. You're trying to go for the main part. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I included race and roll for the galaxy in my list for the same reason. They're all really fast, but we usually play it enough where it feels like it's the whole game night, you know, doesn't feel like a small, smaller thing. I've never, ever considered either one of those games to be a filler. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So our list is not perfect. We'll probably post a list of all of them. You were way, way, way better. You didn't filter out all of the lower ends of your collection. (laughs) I filter out any game below a seven, but Mark is does a lot more work. So maybe we can post those if people really want to know where it all is. But indeed, yeah, you can go to our top games at uh, if you go to gamingmoguls.com and look on the top menu, there'll be something about our our favorite games of 2020. And we'll have those posted up there. So if you really, really are concerned about what my 156th favorite game is, knock yourself out. We also, I think, would be naive to not mention the differences in this year compared to last year and definitely the year before that as well. I mean, it'll be interesting to see next year whether or not our choices change a lot. So what do you think impacted your year this year? You know, I think last year... I think the newness of the exercise and the fact that it was somewhat soon after we went to Gen Con and somewhat soon after Mogul's Con, 
that I think that there was a little bit of cult of the new that crept in last year. There was some games that were in there just because they were pretty shiny and new. Also, I think there was some games that got unfairly rated just because of their provenance. Like this being a very important game in my past, even though I really wasn't playing it that much anymore, it ended up getting points more than it probably should have. Ultimately, that was that ended up being a selection criteria this year that if there got to be two games that didn't really compare directly, I looked at it and said, hey, how likely am I am to play that game? And oftentimes that would decide between two different games. Like if there was one that was a three day long game and there was another one that was an hour long, well, the hour long game would probably win if it was a dead tie otherwise. And likewise, games that I haven't played in four or five years, but have fond memories of would suffer a little bit as a result. And I think they should, right? For sure. Yeah. These games are played to be used. And if you've used something and you're no longer using it, holding it up to a certain level of honor is just kind of weird, you know? Yeah. I really want this to be a living list of my favorite games right now. Like if you sat down and said, what games do you really want to play? You can pick 20 of them. This would be the list that I want to play right now. Awesome. Well, and I'd imagine that your gaming group changed as well. We've been playing online in a limited fashion, but it's definitely not what it was pre-COVID. But you've had the the luck to have an amazing family who's been playing a whole bunch of games with you. Do you think that impacted your list at all? You know, it probably did somewhat. In most cases, actually, my family plays some pretty advanced games. So, Oh, yeah. No, and th- no, that's not my question. But they just have more a different taste. Like last sure. year... We, you weren't playing Gloomhaven to the level that you were this year, you know? Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a great case where we've actually had the time to dig in and play a lot of Gloomhaven, whereas, you know, some games that are full day and really hairy with rules and so forth and maybe a little mean haven't gotten played as much as they would otherwise. I'm really excited. We this year compared all of our games to last year. And it's made it really easy to add in our next years and compare them as well. It's just gonna be really fun to track all of them. Yeah, for sure. So. I think what we're going to do is as we go through this thing, we're going to wrap them back from 20 up to number one. We're going to talk about how they compared versus last year. Are they new to the list? Did they rise? Did they fall? And afterwards, we're going to talk about some of the things that have fallen off the list from last year and perhaps examine why they fell as they did. Now, I will say up front that just the inclusion of 18xx into that list certainly warped my top 20. I mean, there are games that legitimately would have been in my top 20 that got pushed off into 21 through 25 or somewhere in the top 30 now because, well, suddenly now there's a few other things that have muscled their way into those top 20 spaces. Right. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see. So without further ado, should we start this thing? Should we do a little drum roll? Can you just add in a really high budget (laughs) drum roll or should I hit my desk here? There it is. All right. Well, let's start this thing, man. Um, Your number 20 choice is a really awesome choice. Why don't you explain what it is? Yeah. And it's really awesome because this is a game that I think has a couple of spiritual cousins that are all extremely popular games by themselves. Weirdly, this one's the favorite of mine. And it's not even my game, Jake. I don't even own a copy of this game. I think it's the hipster choice, by the way, of the cousins. For sure. I'm talking about Clans of Caledonia, which uh, the cousins I'm obviously referring to are Terra Mystica and Gaia Project. I ultimately really like this game for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it takes a lot of the things that are good about those other games and it condenses it down into a shorter, more refined experience, maybe. Um, I certainly love playing the other games. And if I'm kind of looking for full blast, I'll pick those. But this is one that can be played in as short of an hour. And just I've had a ton of fun every time I've played it. Well, completely agree on your choice of Clans of Caledonia. I like another one a little bit more than I like Clans of Caledonia, but we'll talk about mine next week. The other thing that I think is amazing about Clans of Caledonia, and it's the same vein that you're talking about with it's just a little faster. This uses money 
instead of some vague split of three different colored currencies. Everybody can kind of hop in the game and figure out how to best spend their money. We spend money all the time, right? Versus managing three different resources that are all kind of money, but different. It just, it works out a little bit better. And without having to manage the balance of all three different resources, I mean, it just be money. Yeah, I, I find it is a vastly improved quick level of play. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, this the rules in this one stick in my brain a little bit better than the others two do as well. And it's a great game. I mean, I, I would always play this game anytime. Um, have yeah, you heard anything is... about their new Kickstarter or a new expansion or something along those lines? We got to get you a copy. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh, I, I would have bought one a while back, except for the fact that it's been oft rumored that there is an expansion and or reprint coming down the line. And, you know, you don't want to be stuck with one of those grubby old first edition ones, do you? Of course Can not. You imagine oh. who would do that? Who would huh. do that? So, no, uh, last I've heard is that that's rumor and it still seems somewhat unsubstantiated. So I don't know. I've got enough games to play right now where we're kind of locked in that I may stick it out if one doesn't come out. And once we can go out and actually play again, then maybe I will pick one up. So that is Clans of Caledonia by Juma Aljuju. And compared to last year, I think this one is one of your biggest jumpers on the list. That one jumped up 28 points. I had it at number 48 last year. Up to number 20 this year. I love this game. So heading a little south from your number 20 pick, um, or actually, no, it's on the same island. It's not even south. What's your number Ooh. 19 pick? Explain <laughs> explain how close you are to your other game here. These two games actually geographically intersect. The north end of one of these games hits the south end of the other game. How cool is that? Explain what it is. <laughs> Sorry, I have some questions. This is the first of my 18xx picks on my list, and... This being the biggest one of the list probably suffered a little bit from the access criteria that I talked about. This one's a hard one to get played, but it's a game that I absolutely love. It's 1822, The Railways of Great Britain. And actually, this is the first kind of really big 18xx that I played and occupies a fond spot in my brain as a result of that. Yeah, and I am still kind of amazed. Like, I know you love this game, but the issue is this game, for me, someone who's fanatical about buying these games, ended up passing on just because it's such a big game. And I know I'm not going to really play it that often. You have a copy. If I'm ever going to play it, I'll probably just use your copy. It was the only practical 18xx decision I've ever made. Yeah. And we certainly have that between the two of us. I mean, there are definitely 18xx's that I have passed on because of the fact that, well, I don't really know that much about it. And I know you have a copy and, you know, I'll worry more about it at some point in the future. 1862 being one, 1824 being another that, you know, I'm sure they're great, but I'm going to wait and play years before I get too excited about them. 1822, the thing I like about it is that it's the start of a new branch of 18xx games. It feels different than the other ones. It's defined by the large number of auctions that happened in it. And I think at some point it gets incorrectly categorized by the large number of auctions in it. The big challenge in this game, I always call it like assembling your perfect Voltron. You have to put together a mix of privates, which are like your little superpower and minor companies that you want to assemble along with bigger companies and make this big Voltron that delivers mountains of cash for you. I think the timing on when you do that and how you assemble the huge number of privates, minors, and majors into your perfect Voltron makes this game endlessly interesting. I completely agree. I don't quite put it up to the level that you put it as. I personally, of this family, prefer 1822 mechs more than I like 18. 22 conventional just because i really like the mexico geography but you explain it perfectly well it's a bunch of auctions you got to time them well it's not always having the most money or spending all your money you may want to sit on some money which is such an interesting concept in these games that usually don't have that if you're sitting on cash you're losing 
Yeah, that's extremely antithetical to every other 18xx game where you don't make any money by money sitting in your mattress. And in 1822, if you don't have any money, you might get left behind if something comes up for auction that you really need and somebody else buys it for basically face value, gets a heck of a deal on it just because you spent up all your money in the previous rounds. Well, who even knows? Face value is not even determined in these games, right? You just give them to things. So who knows? Maybe the thing that's supposed to go in air quotes for 60 went for like $5. Right. And that's a double disaster. Not only did you not get access to it, but you gave somebody a free pass to glory by doing that. So you have to manage your money a little closer in this game than you do on many other 18xx titles. And I think that's a really nice breath of fresh air versus all the other games that are ostensibly descended from 1830 or its ilk. Wonderful. So that's 1822, The Railways of Great Britain, designed by Simon Cutforth. Moving on to your next game. This one surprises me. This is one that I never really jive with, but you seem to be a big fan of, and it's kind of a thorn in my side. I need to give this game a better shot. The game I'm talking about is Near and Far by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. This might be the most activity-ish of all of my top 20 games, but it's such an engaging, beautiful world that needed a little boost to push it into that top 20. And by itself, just the base game, I don't know reaches this level of greatness, but You combine it with the Amber Mines expansion that kind of makes the boring parts a lot more interesting and gamier. And there's an awful lot of play in this box. And this is something that uh, my family loves. And we're diving through the whole campaign mode in this book. And it's brought in us hours of joy thus far already. And we'll continue to because there's a lot of play in this box. Yeah, I still have yet to even play with the Near and Far expansion. That's how much I've failed. I don't know why, but I look in this game and I open it up and there's just so much going on and there's so many different ways to play slightly stressful for me but every time i get through it and just play the arcade mode i remember really 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 liking it certainly having a group where you are playing through the campaign and building on the story where you're actually following and looking for people like the red king and so forth and you keep running into these different plot lines definitely amps it up over just what's a um pretty vanilla worker placement game otherwise yeah a very racy worker placement game which are usually games i don't like right right so Anyway, that's number 18, Near and Far, by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. That is uh, down four spots from last year. So now we're going into another segment of games that I really, really, really like. What, what's this one, Mark? It's another four-numbered game. There's four <laughs> numbers in a row. <laughs> well, like all the other four-numbered games in this group, this wasn't on the list at all last year. Had I played it this time last year? Yeah, I had, because I had played it a number of times last summer. This is J.C. Lawrence's 1828. What can we say about 1828, Jake? I don't know if we can even speak it justice. Like, this game is just so cool. Every single part of the map is really well done. Every company is really well done. The auction is weird. What you're supposed to do in the game is weird. It just has this flow, unlike any other games. But you're doing things that you've done in other games. It's just, it's, it's amazing what he was able to put in this one box. It really feels like a lot of the other, in fact, actually, when Chris came out, it was kind of unfairly compared to 1830. And wow, this game couldn't be more different than that. This is just weird Easter egg after weird Easter egg after little trick and little trap every place on the board and in the stock market and in every round that if you learn how to exploit all those little tricks and traps, you can run rush shot and everybody. Yeah, completely agree. I have yet to play this one in person because our wonderful print and play copies that yours is finished. Mine is not. We haven't finished them yet. And we finished them. No, you finished yours right when COVID started, right? 
Mm-hmm. We haven't had a chance to play it in person, and that's kind of my no, next limitation is I just want to play this game in person just to see the flow and the pacing of it. Oh, one of the things I love that they do in there is I love the system that they have. I love that they have systems in this game. A system is where you can take two big major companies, combine them together into a into a system, and they can share resources kind of willy-nilly. Like you don't have to buy the trains back and forth. You can literally just pass them apart and then each company can still act independently and one suddenly says i don't have any trains anymore so now i'm gonna have to be able to force buy a train ha ha and you can do lots of interesting little tricks just through that mechanism by the fact that they're sharing resources very freely love that little part of the game completely agree it's a bigger game so this is something that when we sit down to play 1828 i mean this is a full afternoon that we're gonna have to devote this is the top of my list of games i want to play when we get back together in person whenever that may be I think I'm going to be saying that a couple of times throughout this list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. Uh, J.C. Lawrence hit it out of the park with 1828. That's why it's my number 17 of 2020. So that was 1828, a big game that we are both big fans of. Your next game, I, I knew it'd be on your top 20 list. This is one of the games when I think Euro games, I think, Mark, this is maybe top five Euro games for you in my, in my brain of like, if I were to make a Euro game night, I was surprised that this game fell. I would assume that you would have played this game with your family a lot because it seems kind of up their alley. It's good, yeah. interactive, kind of simple, but great. Like not saying simple, like your kids are done, but like if you just get the game falls out of the way quickly and you're having fun. And I'm surprised to hear you haven't played with your family much. The game that we're talking about is Twa by Pearl Games. This is absolutely one of my favorite games. You nailed it on that one, Jake. But I have yet to play this one with my family, and I don't know how well it would go over because, as we talked about two episodes ago, this one's a little jabby, right? You're stealing other people's dice, and you're taking all their good stuff and preferably leaving them with crap and taking their spots on the board. And my family doesn't tend to like that a lot games that are a little too jabby. So for that reason, it doesn't get played around the house as much as it probably could. And and for that matter, I would say even among my group of gaming friends, I got to pick my battles with this one because people love it or they hate it. I found it to be a little more polarizing than some of my other choices. Why don't we explain what this game's about? Twa is a game of dice drafting where there's a group of dice that you roll out there and you basically have access to your dice or you can buy other people's dice and compensate them for it. Now, ideally, what you want to do is you want to leave your crappy rolled dice for other people to buy from you, and you want to buy other people's really, really good dice away from them so that they can't use them for free. That's the correct way to play Twa. If you buy multiple dice, it goes up geometrically in terms of cost. Like one dice is two bucks. If you're doing a two dice action, each dice is four. If you're doing a three dice action, each dice is six. So you can't just go buy everybody's dice around there. That would get to be extremely expensive because... At the end of the day, money is pretty much victory points in this. So that's expensive. You better make sure you're doing something truly game breaking when you're taking all that. Actually, I misspoke there. Uh, money is not victory points, but still, it really hamstrings you in order to be able yeah. to spend that much to take other people's dice to that level. Once you get those dice, you can use them for action placement spots. And the action placement spots have a neat little twist to them in that every spot has a divisor underneath it, like it's pips divided by three. So whatever group of dice you pull together, you can divide that by whatever the divisor is, three, for example, and you can do that card that many times. So if it's knocking out an invader and it's pips divided by two and you have a pool of dice that totals 10, hey, you get to take out five invaders. And that's pretty cool. So that's why, obviously, you want to have the big pool of dice in there. 
You can also use those dice to knock people out of the public buildings, and that determines how many dice you get each round to play with. So if you keep bumping people out, you're going to get more dice than them, and you're either going to be able to use them or get paid for their use. I really like this game. I think we played it a bit too much when we first played it. I don't remember why, but I remember thinking with Tyler that we played this a handful many two times. I don't know. It was also winter. I could have been upset about the emotions of not seeing the sun in three months. (laughs) I, I think it did. Like when I first played this one, I just was like, this is great. And I think I really wanted to play the heck out of it right when we first got it. So that's entirely possible. My ardor for Twa. My ardor for Twa has been reignited over the past year after the big swing and a miss by Black Angel, a game that promised to be Twa 2.0 and was Twa nothing point, point nothing. Point nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that, wow, Twa really got it right, and that's where I need to focus my effort, and that sort of reignited my interest in this game. It is down three from last year, but again, uh, you sort of look at the... There's some 18xx. There's some 18xx's in there. So it's a virtual push versus where it was last year in my interest level. Yeah, we got to play this one again. I'd like to see if I if it stands up as much as you think it does. I don't quite have it as high. I don't have it on my list, so... Well, one of the more controversial parts of Twa is the fact that it has hidden scoring conditions at the end of the game, a very small number of them, that when you've played it as many times as I have, you know what they are, and you and part of the game is trying to suss out what other people have. Like Jake's collecting a huge pile of money over there. I think he's taking the win condition thing on money. So if I want to score on that one, I better start stockpiling some money too. Of course, then you find out it's actually victory. It's actually one of the other ones. But if you don't play it often, I can see that being challenging. And I've played it a few times where we just play those face up. I don't think it detracts from the game, but it does make it a little more AP prone because people start min maxing the end of the game. The Italian designers who made this game, the cadre of amazing designers over there, clearly knew what they were doing. So, Twa, it's a fantastic game by Pearl Games. So now we're going on to, I believe, the biggest faller on your entire list, if you're top 20. I struggle to think of why it fell 12 spaces to number 15. This is my number three game of all last year. I'm talking about Yokohama by Hisashi Hayashi. This is still a masterpiece, Jake. I don't I don't love this game any less. I think maybe last year it got just some good matchups and maybe got pushed a notch harder, higher than it should have otherwise. I also think it was newish at that time. It was right when we were starting to pursue getting them all blinged out and trying yeah. to really get all the pieces for it. And it also just plays really well with our game group. This is totally the kind of game that we pull out often. It's quick. Everyone kind of knows it. It's easy to teach if you don't know it. It's really varied in just kind of how everything sets up and what strategy you want to do. And it's one of those games you don't see all of the aspects of it. You don't feel like you explored every nook and cranny of a game after two or three plays. Yeah, this is a game where what you're trying to do is you're sort of the uh, the reformation of Japan when they're starting to join the 20th century and modernize and bring in trading partners from overseas. What you're doing is you're moving around the city of Yokohama and you're leaving little action tokens around. And when you stop on one of those places, you get to do that area's action at the strength of which you have pieces already left behind there. And there's a lot of different ways you can score things. You can fill contracts. You can convert your stuff into church points, basically, and get points there. You can export things to get points. You can build up a lot of technology and be the technology master. This is point salad palooza, Jake, (laughs) isn't it? There's a lot of ways to score. Everything you do does points, but you have to do it well. And if you're not doing it fast enough, you feel like your entire life is slipping away. 
boy, it's one of those things that you, it can be pretty swingy too, where I've seen people rack up 20, 30 points all in just one big crack and go flying by you. I really like it. We'll hear what my thoughts are on it next, next week, maybe. Yeah, I for sure think this is an evergreen game in our game group and one that's likely always going to be in our top 20. This is one I'm never sick of playing and I'm willing to play all the time. Me too. I think it might kind of settle around the 15, 16, 17 area, kind of the lower top 20, maybe even going to the mid 20s, but it's just such a good game. My theory on why it fell down is kind of related to the next game on your list. Might have something to do with it. Which you've always told me is very related. And I'm wondering if now that you have two kids, you love each one of them half as much. (laughs) If they're not getting watered down from each other. Is that how fatherhood works? Could be. The game we're talking about is Airship City, published by Come On just this last year. This game I picked up for real literally the last time I went in person to a game store last March. It's a relic of a forgotten time. (laughs) It is when you could actually go shop at places and have a prayer of playing it in person. And what Airship City is, it's a reprint of a Japanese game. Somebody asked this morning, is there such a thing as a big box Japanese game? This might be it. Yeah. This is kind of a big box Japanese game. Yeah. The analog lunchbox version was, I think, in a regular kind of Euro sized box. It is. Yeah. It's a it's a normal size box. It's not a little shelfy one. But having said that, it's even actually pretty modest for actually how much game there is inside that box. Airship City follows the same formula as Yokohama, where you've got workers that you're moving about a city, in air quotes, airship quotes, to do particular actions. What's interesting, and the reason I compare it so much to Yokohama, is that you're trying to do many of the same things. You're getting resources. You're trading those resources to fulfill contracts. What's different and what makes it really an interesting twist is two things. First off, I think it's actually a more refined, less fiddly version of Yokohama. Like it's thinkier, yet less rules encumbered. So it's definitely more of a brain burner than playing Yokohama. In Yokohama, there's so many things to do that you can just go, ah, I'm going to go do these things. And you're just very busy and you may not be doing good things, but you're busy. Whereas in Airship City, it's a tighter thing where you really have to plan that out better because there are not enough resources or enough turns to even do a fraction of what you want to do mean yokohama fun kind of yeah the other twist with it is is that being airships you can move the locations around imagine if every building was a blimp and they're kind of floating around and bumping each in into each other and reordering so if a location that you need to go to isn't near you you can move the locations which is great for you and perhaps not great for somebody else who was planning on moves three turns in advance and suddenly it got moved to the other side of the board on them. And that really twists things around on the players in the game. Yeah, this is one I've never tried, but hearing you talk about it week after week after week makes me really, really want to try it. I think this is 100% more AP prone than Yokohama, so be a little bit careful on that one That okay to not over min-max it. And if you have an especially AP prone group of players to play it with, it might run long. So that's a good word of caution I would give you with Airship City versus Yokohama. Well, that is a really cool game, one I've always wanted to try. And I think it's your number 14 this year, which is one of the few non-18XX games that just popped up this year. I'm also making some laser cut things for Airship City. Stay tuned. We'll we'll have to to talk about those on a different day, (laughs) not in the middle of our top 20. For sure. Awesome. Well, we wouldn't want to go more than a few without throwing in another 18xx game. And I promise you my entire top 20 is not 18xx's. This one is one that I think actually surprised you when you saw it, Jake. 
It did. First off, I'm very sad. There's not just 18xx's up here. Every choice that's not 18xx disappoints me. But I didn't think you liked this game that much because every time I offered <laughs> to play it with you, you said, no, you guys are too good at it. And we even had arguments about it and this whole thing. And I guess with the new implementation on 18xx.games, you've played it enough. You're one of us now. You're one of the guys. Getting there. Getting there. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm talking about 1846, The Race for the Midwest by Tom Lehman. His classic. I think my turning point on this game was hearing an interview with Tom Lehman and hearing him describe the design considerations he put into why everything is as it is. And I had like the blinders thrown open into why this is such a brilliant game. And since playing it, then I have gained a new appreciation for what a masterpiece 1846 truly is. Yeah, it's an amazing game. It's set in the part of the Midwest. It's kind of Western Pennsylvania all the way to just south of Chicago, all the way over to like St. Louis. I don't know if you can consider Pennsylvania part of the Midwest. I don't, but some people do. <laughs> well, it's the race, race for the Midwest. You got to yes. start somewhere and go to the Midwest. Correct. And if you're starting in Pennsylvania, you're not in the Midwest. So it's a great game. We're both huge fans of it. I'm really happy that's on your list because I think it's it's definitely one of my favorite fast 18xx games. I think this is a game that actually got a couple of a uh, couple of points to the positive for accessibility because of the fact it's on 18xx.games and because of the fact it plays really quickly, both online and in person. I mean, we all have played it enough times that our games go blisteringly fast. Holy smokes, do they go fast? Yeah, the calculating of payouts is the most long thing. And I don't mean like counting your runs. I mean, okay, I have six shares of this. How much does that mean cash wise? Right. Result of one of those things. This is a game that I can get in multiple plays of in a very short amount of time and gain a higher appreciation and a higher skill level for it. And that definitely impacts my enjoyment of the game, even though I still stand by all the things that I still feel like a, uh, a babe among wolves wandering around in the 1846 world, but it's all good. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm becoming competitive gradually. You're you're getting there. You're 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 getting up there. I think you have to figure out what strategy works with you. That was my thing. I kept on trying different strategies and I'm not good at them. The only thing I'm good at is the par high with a handful of private strategy and buy them all in OR1. Right. I still haven't won this one, but I've had a couple of seconds. So hey, you're one of there. these days, Jake, one, one of these, of these days. days, you'll be one of us. All you have to do is play with a smaller group and you'll probably have a higher chance of winning. You just can't get Eric Nell on the, on the in the group and you increase <laughs> your odds exponentially. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, for sure. So that's 1846, the race for the Midwest. Your number 13 game. Okay, let's stay on the 18xx horse one last time. My number 13 is 1880 China. Yeah, a Helmet Ole and Lonnie Orgler classic. Arguably one of their best, at least for you. You definitely think it's one of their oh, best. I love this game. It's so weird. And that's, I, you know, if there's a theme to this one, if you look at the 18xx's that I've picked so far, 1880, 1846, 1828, and 1822, they're all weird. Yeah, you don't you don't have an 1830 on a different map game or no, an 1830 with a little bit of chrome, you know? Nope, nope, nope. I sort of like the bizarre ones that I got to actually stop and think and play with some of the new levers and try some of the new things. I also think I like the fact that mm, there are less experts in these games running around, so I feel like I have a better chance. Yeah, there's a lot of experts about 1822, but that's a fair statement. But 1880 China is maybe one of the weirdest ones. It's set in, obviously, China. And over the course of the game, you're sort of living out the history of China, up to and including the Communist Revolution. About two-thirds of the way through the game, suddenly and inexplicably, the stock market just stops. 
meaning that anything you do does not affect your stock price. You can withhold all the money into your company. You can pay out all you want. You can sell shares. You can buy shares. Nothing affects it. So you kind of everybody has a round or two to just do crazy free things without any repercussions. And then for the end of the game, it's back on and off and running. So it's really about trying to set yourself up for when the stock market restarts in as good a position as you possibly can. And man, there's a lot of interesting things you can do with this game, both in terms of managing that and managing the odd turn order of the game. Yeah, there's, I mean, I think we could spend an entire episode just explaining how many different things exist in this game. The OR SR thing is super weird. Whenever we run out of a full tier of trains or whenever everyone goes around without buying a train, all the companies have operated, then we have a stock round. Okay, I guess that's how it works. And furthermore, it's in the middle of somebody else's turn. So correct. You can conceivably jump out, do a stock round, jump back in, and then buy trains again. <laughs> and what's wild is that's not even the weirdest part of this game. There's just so many weird little things stacked on top of weird little things. There's no certificate limit, or pardon me, not certificate limit. There is a certificate limit. There's no corporation limit. You can own 100%. Just buy yeah. it. Who cares? Well, yeah. and there are there are foreign investors that when you connect up with them, just suddenly give you a big shot of capital and right. away you go. This is, I think, the every cool idea in an 18xx game. But I will say it does work. This is currently on my banned online play. I'm not going to play it on board 18 anymore, but I would love to play it in person because I just really need to feel the pacing of this game, being able to grok where all the information and all the positions are actually at and see kind of how it flows. It's such a cool game. I'm currently playing this online and I am making a point of trying to do something different. I'm always king of the South and now I'm trying to be king of the North. We'll see. It's a really cool game. I really hope that there's some more news on the Lookout Spiel reprint of this game. I'd seen some rumors about it a while ago. Haven't seen anything in a bit. If you know something, let us know. Yeah, I need to get a copy of this in real life real bad. So that is 1880 China. All right, so your number 11 is one of the other games, one of three that I believe were added this year that are not 18xx. I think many of our listeners will easily know what game this is going to be, but what is it, Mark? So this is another game with super sharp elbows. This is one where you can easily get flooded if you don't get off to a good start as the water cascades down from the top of the mountain, washing you away with all of your hopes and dreams. I'm talking about Barrage. <laughs> Barrage is a new worker placement game that is really, really cutthroat. It finally hit mass market distribution late last year. And this is one that I absolutely love. I try to get played as much as I can. And uh, that, that's challenging because I can't play this one with everybody else. Jake, why is that? Why can't you play this with everyone else? Well, because there are some people that won't play it with me, Jake. Am I one of those people? No, you aren't. I know you oh. will play this game with me. Gotcha. But, Good. But but I know that you, like some of the other people I've played with, have had a bad experience playing this game. It's, it's such a weird game. It's just so mean. And I think it presents itself in a way that's supposed to be like your other Euro games. And you can lose so early in these games. And I think certain people have expectations coming into a Euro game that they can kind of move some stuff and you'll be fine until turn five where you really need to focus, you know? And that is absolutely not the case. I lost turn one of the first time I played this game. I actually think, given your love of splatters, Jake, that once you kind of grok the flow of this game, this will become a favorite of yours because you you like games where you can lose oh, I turn do. one. A hundred percent. I really do. My my bougie take on this game is I don't like how dark it is. It's the same thing with brass. Oh, I don't think I don't like how dark brass <laughs> okay. is. I don't like how dark this is. That's my bougie take. But I'll have to play it again. It's always on top of the list because the first time we played was wrong. And I think I've only played it one time. So 
Yeah. And so at a high level, what you're trying to do in barrage is there's water flowing downhill and you only get to make money and make points if you capture some of that water and process it into electricity. But, you know, water doesn't just disappear when it makes hydroelectric. It flows someplace and somewhere down the mountain might catch it and make electricity out of it again. And if you can control the water and route it where you want to so that you're the only one that's actually making power out of it, you're going to crush everybody else. And there's also an extremely limited amount of water. Second thing I'll say that I love about this game is that the way that you build things, I think, is really, really unique. You don't spend resources ever. You don't need like, oh, I need six concrete and three stone and four iron to build a dam. No, you have to have a certain number of workers and those workers go to work for a certain period of time and you don't get those back until they're done working. So you never spend things per se. You just put them to work. They come back around on this interesting water wheel. And then once the wheel is spun enough, then you get it back. Challenge is the wheel never spins on its own. So you either have to keep building things to keep cycling through your workers or you have to spend effort to make that thing cycle to get them back. And that's a very, very, very challenging way to manage how to actually build a large number of things. Yeah, it's really cool. It's been I haven't seen it done in any other game, but I really enjoy what it does with it. This is a game that uh, certainly I would like to play with a larger group of people once we can play in person, because you can always tell which are my favorites because I start blinging them out. And this one's becoming well blung. Blunged. It's blunged to the nth it's degree. Very blunged. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited to play it again. I think you have enough people in the group that do like it where you can get it going. But for sure, hey, for we sure, we gotta wait for we gotta wait for a pandemic tent. So we'll see. <laughs> so that's uh, number eleven, Barrage, by our favorite group of Italian designers. Once again, there it is. Keeping up with the Italian theme, you have a game set in Rome next, <laughs> and I think you should maybe speak some glory to it. You know. <laughs> My number 10 is a Carl Chuddick game called Glory to Rome, also co-designed by a guy named Ed Carter. Everybody thinks of this as a Carl Chuddick game, though, I would quite say. In fact, we had to look up Ed Carter ourselves. Glory to Rome is a game where all of Carl Chuddick's notions about crazy combos and multi-use cards all come together in a game about trying to rebuild Rome after one of the sackings in there where you're a kind of wealthy patrician trying to help out the government rebuild Rome. The problem is you're not entirely honest and you can sack away some of those materials instead of using it to rebuild the countryside. And those that build <laughs> the best buildings and sack away the most materials for their own profit will ultimately be victorious. Oh, and by the way, whoever does the most broken combo first will likely achieve that goal before anybody else does. This is a game that ultimately is difficult to get. And I apologize for ranking something high that's really hard to get, but it is really that good. Jake, I know this is something a game you absolutely love as well. Yeah, it's probably the best game that I don't own. And it's the game, if you were to make me reprint a game, this would be the first one I'd do, no questions asked, right? If I could just snap my fingers and have any game exist. It's just such a shame that the like pretty, putting in air quotes, pretty version of the game doesn't exist in any yeah. real meaningful way. You know, you can buy it used. I don't remember how much they cost. I remember I'm copying like 100-ish, 200-ish dollars on PGG at some point in time. But it's just a bummer. It's such a good game and it'd fit in just like everyone's top 20 if they could get it. But it's hard to find. So. Yeah, it is a card game, too, that sort of fits into a full size, full game night, full length game. Like, I think you're probably going to play this for an hour, hour and a half when you sit down to play this one. Exactly. Super interactive because it's a case where, well, you can demand resources from other people and they just got to cough it up out of their hand. Or you can destroy other people's buildings There's a little bit of take that maybe. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like a take that game. It's so good. I love this game so much. 
and this is a game too that a lot of our play group has uh, learned to love as well so no challenge at all getting this to the table this game is actually up 14 points from last year went from number 24 to number 10 a pretty moderate climber there the next one is the one that i'm really excited to talk about because it did not change you are just (laughs) sure about the placement of this game it's not going up it's not going down it's even i will tell you that once you get into the top 10 it's you (laughs) could realistically mix and match these things till you're blue in the face and you wouldn't be wrong right this game yeah this is this is a game i've talked about ad nauseum i'm talking about orleans reiner stockhausen bag builders sort of the originator of that the idea in orleans is that you're going to pick workers out of your bag a certain number of them every round you're going to arrange them on your board to do additional actions maybe that's get more workers or maybe it's build trading houses or move your trader around the board or get education or a variety of things. And once you've completed a stack of event tiles, the game is done and you score it up super simply. It's the resources you get plus the trading houses and the citizens you have times your education level. And that's it. Ah, man, I love this game. And it's one of my most played games over the past couple of years. Yeah, me too. Oh, just kidding. I've only played this game once, so would love to play it again sometime. <laughs> Which still amazes me, Jake, because this is this is one of those just absolute evergreen games. No, the issue is me and you, you will subject me to weirder things than I think most people. And if we're splitting you into know, two tables, good take. Yeah. you will run a pretty normie game because usually when I run a game, I run weirder <laughs> games. And so I think this is you kind of catch the normies and I am not playing normie games and you've decided to not play normie games with me or to play normie games instead of playing not normie games but i remember liking it the one time i did play it was fun this is a game too that there's also been a 2.0 that's come out from it that is good but it's definitely not as good and i'm referring to altiplano it's at least cute it's cute yeah the derpy alpaca game as we call it orleans is not very derpy nor cute to know anything you know it's just kind of there oh come on you aren't going to throw aspersions oh you've added a lot of amazing components to it but the <laughs> art that looks like woodcard art by it's clemens uh, franz man it's clemens yeah, franz it's, it's clemens franz without the cuteness it's just clemens franz with the weird poorly done art of like the middle ages yes medieval not the best but i do like the game i remember playing it this is i think another game that has to go on the top of the list of games that i should play just because i don't know about them you talk about them on lists every once in a while for doing something and i just don't have anything to say i gotta i gotta play this game so i'm gonna be able to talk to you about it i failed you as a friend mark in my opinion the canonical way to play this game is with the trade and intrigue expansion the base game is good But I think it becomes a lot more interesting once you replace the beneficial deeds board, which is the way that you cull unnecessary characters out of the game and get benefit for them. The choices are much more interesting in the trade and intrigue expansion, as are the event tiles. So typically the way I play it is with the Orleans game, with the new trade beneficial deeds board and the trade event deck. I don't play like the missions. There's like missions where you can go around and deliver stuff to cities instead of scoring them out. Too much. (laughs) Bridge too far. So it's basically the base game freshened up a bit. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to play it when we play these games. Awesome. The next one on the list is a Euro game I know a lot about, probably too much. Yeah, this is a game that you know a lot about it, yet not enough. This is, I think, the game that we are the worst at, that we still enjoy. We are so bad at this game. Like we're, we're, we're pretty bad at a lot of games. We're not super great at a lot of them. We are just downright garbage at this game. We had to play a two-on-two versus game or a one-on-one game. So one of us would finally get a win. 
Yeah, and I'm still dead. That would be you, Jake. So I'm glad you, I'm glad that you could get off of the loser bench. I'm still sitting there by myself feeling dejected that I have not yet won Great Western Trail. There it is. It's such a good game, though. We're really winning by just playing it. <laughs> I think this is Alexander Fister's masterpiece, isn't it, Jake? I, this yeah. is clearly his best game. I think so. I think so. We really like it. Now that we finally know all the rules, it's been a living game by <laughs> learning all the rules as we play 10, 10 times in a row. So, yeah, I maybe have to throw a little little side eye at the rules book. I don't love the rules book in this game, Jake. Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. I think that's caused a lot of the problems. But what do you love about this game? What I love about Great Western Trail is it's a game that thematically you're running around a racetrack multiple times to accumulate the best set of cows. It's a little bit of a set collection thing going on there with cards. And then once you get to the end of the trail, you're going to deliver them for profit and to move down the rail line. And along the route there, you have the opportunity to both improve your deck of cows as well as improve your hand of cows so that, again, once you get to the end, you have the best possible thing. There's a lot of different ways to skin that cat along the way. Are you going to go with a heavy engineer thing? Are you going to build a lot of buildings? Are you going to buy the greatest set of cows? Are you going to go the farthest down the train tracks? There's a lot of ways to win, Jake. <laughs> I love this game. No, it's completely amazing. I, I, I don't know what to say about this game besides the fact that we love it and that we're bad at it. And I will always play it, hoping to someday be good at it. This is another game that benefits for fitting well in our group. Like everybody knows how to play this game at this point. So... There's zero friction to getting this played. If it's just a generic game night and somebody plays Great Western Trail, everybody will go, sounds good, whip it out. Sure, sounds great. The one thing that is a bit of a defining factor is you have yet to play the expansion, correct? I do, and I'm I'm not against playing the expansion all. I just don't see the point in it at this point because I feel like I'm so far from mastery of the base game that, man, the last thing I need to do is like change things up and add additional stuff. To me, this game seems the most complete with the expansion. Like it's one of the games that you add an expansion. You're like, oh, it didn't add anything. The same flow of the game's the same. The same general conceits, the same. There's just a bigger part of the game that wasn't explored before. You can obviously tell because the components are slightly different. Like you have an extra add-on board area. (laughs) But if it was all printed as one, you would 100% think it was all the same game. And I really think you should try it sometime. And, and as the guy that just got done explaining about how Orleans, the canonical way to play that is with a little bit of expansion to fatten up an area that was maybe a little soft. I, I certainly this. should not be the one to say that that's not the way to play Great Western Trail without trying it. Listen to your own preaching, my man. Listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely give that a whirl once we have a chance to play it. I think that's an in-person kind of thing, probably, but uh, I'm certainly open to try it. Absolutely. So that is your number eight pick, which fell two slots since last year. Yep. It was number six last year. So last year, Jake, those that were on team Jake, what was their number one complaint about team Mark's list? Um, It had Caverna higher than Agricola. And more so (laughs) that it was completely saturated by Uva Rosenberg games. Completely. How dare you say anything bad about not having 18 games out of the top 20 being Uva Rosenberg games? I'll pretend you didn't say that. Having said that, I realize that I may have been a little enthusiastic about it, Uwe Rosenberg last year when I made my list. Correct. And I also think you were given an opportunity to explore all the games adjacent to each other as kind of an academic expenditure kind of thing. Yes. And you did not do that this year to the level. I think you kind of filtered through all of them and now you've decided which ones you like. And the next one is one I think you really like. What's it called? My number seven pick for 2020 is the Uwe Rosenberg masterpiece Agricola. I chose Agricola because I think this is a game that you could play endlessly, never get sick of. There's 
always tension. There's always pressure. May not make it for everybody because that can hurt sometimes. But I think that's what really delivers on that game every single time you play it. Completely agree. It's amazing. I need to read the rules and just learn this game because I wonder if this could be a game I could play with my wife. Hear me out here. I know it's not super light or anything, but it's a game that has such replayability. I love the idea of this being a two player game that you just play a whole bunch. I think it could, too. I think it's a game that masquerades as being something lighter and friendlier than it really is, too. Like, it's got such a cute little, you know, very down-home farming sort of feel to it. Well, and the rules kind of evolve with time. So on top of it being pretty simple and, and fun and cutesy, you don't have to explain a lot at the beginning. You know, it'll kind of develop with time. I think this game is actually rules-wise simpler than Caverna. Just well, in, just if you, yeah. you look at the base rules of it, it is an easier game and quicker to get up and play. I think it's also tougher to master long term. This one is your decisive winner of the Caverna versus Agricola thing with Caverna all the way down at 25 and Agricola at seven. That is yep. decisive, my man. Yep. You've made a decision. Foreshadowing our part where we talk about the the, the fallers. And yes, I have I have conclusively ruled Agricola the winner in the Caverna versus Agricola battle. I know not everybody agrees with that one, but for me, that's the one I'm picking between the two of them. Happy to play either one, though. Wonderful. So moving on to your next one, these are games that, I don't know, how can I summarize these? These are the other games. If you were to make a Mount Rushmore games for Mark, this would be one I'd put on there as well. (laughs) Well, and I think let's do something weird here. Let's talk about number six and number five at the same time, because honestly, they're very parallel here. My number six is Brass Birmingham, and my five is Brass Lancashire. (laughs) Wow, look at that. You didn't massage the list to put those together, did you? Nope, nope, that's really how it worked out. And and actually, like I explained earlier on, how it doesn't do every single combination, it never actually asked me between the two of them which one I like. It never made me compare the two side by side to determine which one I like better. Did it select the right one? Do you like Lancashire more than you like Birmingham? I think it is. I think Ooh, it is. Trust the trust the uh, the algorithm, my man. Yeah. So last year, Brass Birmingham was my number two game. So it's actually fallen a little chunk down to number six. Brass Lancashire, on the other hand, has rocketed up thirty eight points from, <laughs> from 43. number forty three wow. all the way to number five. Big reason for that is I hadn't played a lot of Brass Lancashire. I had only played it one or two times. I didn't really understand it. And after going back to playing it after playing Birmingham a bunch of times. I really came to appreciate the uh, the savagery that's built into Brass Lancashire. <laughs> it's I, I, the comparison is very apt between Lancashire is the Agricola of the pair and Birmingham's the Caverna of the pair. They both have really, really, really strong pros and cons to them, and I find that I sort of like the uh, the the tightness and the deeper, more difficult decisions that come in Lancashire and Agricola to the more wide open Euroy feel of the other two. Awesome. Well, I still like these games. I definitely haven't played them as much as you have, but I always find it interesting that they are so different yet so similar. You know, it makes me think how complicated and how much balancing an act is to really balance a game and make make games. If you can just add a couple little things, tweak a map and hey, it's a brand new game that feels so similar yet so different. And I think between the two of them, which game I would actually pick depends on who I'm playing it with. If I'm playing with people that I know like a really tight Euro and like to really get in each other's face and play kind of aggressively and interactively, I'm going to pick Lancashire. If right. I'm with a crowd that sort of likes a little more hands-off, look at the cool thing I built, Euro, I'm maybe going to pick Birmingham over that one because it plays out a little more Euro-y-ish. Absolutely. Euro-y-ish? Sure. 
ultimately, both great games are both, you know, top 10 games for me and games that I would consider to be virtually perfect. That's uh, number six, Brass Birmingham, and number five, Brass Lancashire. Wonderful. So your number four was the game that we prophetically said would rise a bunch next year. And <laughs> we're right. It did. <laughs> it rose a lot on both of our lists. Sorry to give a little bit of a spoiler for people for mine, but this is a game that's just rocketed up both of our of our lists. What is it? Yeah. And this is a game that I've actually made a point of playing a lot this year. When I rated this last year at number 19, I hadn't played an awful lot of Aegis Steam. I knew it was a great game. I saw the potential in it. I really loved the plays that I had of it, but I don't know that I had enough miles underneath my train wheels to really put that up as high in the list as it ultimately ended up. That's different this year. I've played it a bunch, and now I know how great of a game it is. That's why it's my number four pick of the year this year. Uh, Age of Steam by Martin Wallace and uh, and or John Borer. Depending on. Yeah. Is a game that has remarkably simple rules for crazily deep strategy and train car loads of punishing decisions. Very simple. You decide at the beginning, do I want to take loans to get more money? Sure. Then I get to bid for my special little power. Okay. Now I have to spend money to build track. Uh Oh, I'm really running out of money here. Okay. But I can always get more loans next time. I, I need to do that because if I don't start delivering some cubes to other cities, I'm really dead. But I oh, dang it. I didn't take the one where I got to go first. So somebody else took the cubes that I wanted to get. Now I spent all that money and I don't get, I get nothing. Ah, that's a typical game of Age of Steam. This game is just evil. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely evil. And it's just, you get in these like mental ideas that you're sure somebody's going to bid a bunch and you're like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take, loan, take loans, you know, it's going to suck, but I have to beat Mark on this bid. And then all of a sudden it actually goes to it and you're just the person you were so worried about. You knew they were going to do this. Didn't do that. You know, it's just such a great game and it really hel- helps you show that the best randomness in games are the opponents and what they're going to do and not right. necessarily randomness actually in the game. And there still is a little bit of randomness Agreed. like yeah. with what goods go where. But Enough. beyond that, yes, the real randomizing factor is what your opponents are going to do. And this is the only game in my top 20 that I'm actually marginally scared of. Yeah, me too. I just still <laughs> every time I pull it out, I'm like, I know I want to do this, but it's going to be a little scary. And I just want to make sure it's going to be good you know oh this could go bad this could go bad i still have never won age of steam jake really One of these days, no i'm bad at it but i'm getting better i don't think i play aggressively enough like i'm kind of always the bridesmaid like i am a lot of times i i got a great second place game yeah absolutely so age of steam it's got a whole library of maps we're gonna have to get into that once society returns and we can just be super weird about tailoring our plays to the perfect map and exploring all it has to offer. It's an amazing game, an amazing system, an awesome game. Up 15 spots for you at number four. What's your number three, Mark? Number three, well, I couldn't go an entire top 20 without including at least more than one Uwe Rosenberg game. And anybody that knows me knows that this is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. I might have also just foreshadowed that this is the only other Uwe Rosenberg game in the list. This is Lahav. This game is absolutely one of my all-time favorite games. Of course, it's number three. This right. is a little game where the actions are simple. You either grab a pile of resources off one of the spaces or you use somebody's building. And because you can pick to do either one of those, you don't have to vacate people's buildings. At the end of every round, you got to feed your people. And ultimately, you want to turn all of those resources that you got into points by shipping them offshore. But the way that you do that, Jake, 
<laughs> is so variable. There's so many different ways. Do I, you know, get a bunch of clay and go really hard on shipping? Do I try to convert leather? And there's hundred and so odd special buildings that come out of which in any given game, you're only using six of them. Ah, as a result, these no two games of Lahab ever play out samey samey. It's an amazing game. I like it. This game, I'm surprised made it up so high because it's not an easy to play game. You play it a lot, but it, it takes time. And I think that kind of speaks to how amazing it is because it's not super accessible. I mean, you can teach it to people pretty quickly, but it's still, unless you're playing the short version, which I have yet to do, it's like a three hour game, you know, two and a half. Yeah. It always plays longer than I feel like it should. But right. Having not said saying that, it's never, bad. It doesn't right. feel like it plays long. It's just afterwards like, oh, son of a gun, all afternoon went by. <laughs> Yeah, we still got three more rounds. Right, which is, I think, speaks to his testament of the fact that it does do that and we acknowledge it and it's still this high, right? Yeah, yeah. The game builds. There's a story that happens throughout the game. You never feel like you're just like, oh, how many rounds do we have left? You always feel like you can't do enough. You always feel like you don't have enough stuff and you don't have enough turns left to do the things you want to do. There's always too many decisions and that makes it really fly by. So that was your number three, Lahav by Uwe Rosenberg, um, climbing one spot from last year. Your number two, I'm surprised it's not your number one. If we were to think about COVID in a situation where Mark's playing games with his family a lot, and games that I thought would just rocket up to the top of the list or stay at the top of the list, this game was kind of the top. You've been playing the game so much. How is this not your number one? You know, it was my number one last year, and we've really dug into it even more this year. And no question this game would be number one if it wasn't for my number one. Yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Little, little, I probably shouldn't have asked that question because the answer is one. You'll, you'll right. see in a bit. This is still, though, at number two, Gloomhaven's still an amazing game. COVID's really increased our amount of playing Gloomhaven because we're stuck at home together. So therefore, we're getting a chance to dive in deeper and we're really getting the rewards from having done that. We're at the point in the game where we're just starting to be able to do really cool stuff and we're about to retire our first characters. So we're a dozen adventures in or something like that. And this is something that everybody in my family is excited about playing. Do I think we'll get through all 99 adventures? No, <laughs> quite frankly, but we'll get a lot of them played. This one still has a lot of legs left in it. And it's number two of the year, Gloomhaven. And Man, it's an amazing game. What else can you say about Gloomhaven at this yeah, point that hasn't I mean, already been said? <laughs> right. It's amazing. It has a thousand pounds. That's probably the main reason it's not at the top of your list. It just weighed too much. It couldn't be supported up there long. You only have so much muscles, man. It's too heavy. The aha thing that I, after playing it a whole bunch of times is realizing the masterpiece that has gone into how they actually took a mechanism of playing two different cards, yet making each individual card deck individual so that every character has its own unique things that it can do that is completely in flavor with what that character does and every monster for that matter even though again you're sort of just mixing and matching a small set of routines that they could do you know do they move do they attack do they ranged attack or do they put some other special effect like poison in but just by combining those things really makes each creature feel interesting and unique and flavorful and the more we get into that and the stronger we make our own attack decks, the more that that flavor is even enhanced. And that's been the really glorious aha of diving deeper into Gloomhaven. Yeah, and I, I really want that. What I'm really excited about this game is I think when I may be in a position to have that, it'll be a while from now, right? My kids will probably have to be a your kid's name. I will wonder if this game will still be that thing. You know, will there be a new game that will replace it then? Or will this game just be such a magnum opus design? It'll still exist. Yeah, I mean, it's, it really feels timeless. Completely agree. 
I, I can't imagine it. Like, well, maybe one of the other ones become the more canonical version of it. Maybe. Will there be like a, you know, master's edition or something that just goes in and cleans up the cruft later on? I don't know. Maybe. Is there any cruft? I don't know. I think you could make a realistic argument that a lot of the missions ultimately are going and kill everything. Yep. So perhaps they could make you know, a mission book that goes along with it that's a little smarter. But honestly, that's something that just literally by putting in a freshened up mission book, you could really change the game, even with leaving the other 27 and a half pounds untouched. <laughs> completely, completely. I, I I love this game. I just wish I was in a time in my life where I feel like I could give it justice. And it's just so fun seeing somebody who can. Well, it would be a fun thing to do to get some get together you and Uncle Kirk and some of the people that don't get to play this all the time and have a Gloomhaven day sometime. And just there's a bunch of one off adventures, you know, like little pocket adventures like they do in D&D. There's been a bunch of those things created for Gloomhaven where you can jump in and play even if you're not doing the main storyline. And Completely. I think you guys would really enjoy that. Yeah, that'd be super fun. A really like kind of small, just small day. That sounds super fun. All right. So that is your number two, Gloomhaven, falling one spot from last year. Wow. Okay, we're here. I feel like we should do some drum rolls or something. I don't know how to drum it up because I can't even explain how much this game jumped last year because it wasn't even on your list. It wasn't on my list. It was not up for consideration. But by my new rules this year, it entered considerations. And I was a little surprised it came out as number one. But I realized after the fact that very clearly it makes sense. This was my number one game of the last year, and it is my number one game overall. It makes sense. Maybe we should give it a little Asian theme fanfare. Uh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know any way to do that without being inappropriate. That's kind of where I was going with that, too. I'm like, oh, maybe not. This game is a game that normally only plays in a few minutes, but I've never played it in a few minutes. I've always played it in blocks of an hour or two. <laughs> what is it? It's a card game called Teach You. Anybody that knows me knows that I rave about this game all the time. It's a laddering game. I didn't say trick-taking games. Everybody back up, sit down. I understand the difference where you play a set of cards and somebody tries to play a better set of cards in the same framework. So like if somebody plays doubles, you have to play doubles. Somebody leads triples, you have to play triples. First person to get rid of all their cards wins it. And then we go around the table and depending on who else goes out, depends on who gets the tricks from the losers and so forth. The more I play this game, the more it unfolds to me and the depth unfolds to me about how to actually play it. And I look at how I played even a year ago versus how I play now, and it's night and day different. And the beauty and the reason this is number one is my family has gone along on that journey with me. And if we have a night where we're just sitting down to play games, the vast majority of the time, somebody's going to say, let's play teach you. Right. So I have played this 10x the amount of times of any of the other games on my list. In fact, I've probably played more games of Teach You than I have all of the other games in my top 10 put together. I'm wondering if this game is also a lifestyle game too, which can kind of put it up. You know, I could see you playing this game with different people and different groups sure, outside of your sure. family just forever. I could I could see this being like the pitch. One that whenever you get together with a certain set of couple friends that know how to play this also, that it's just that that's what you right. get together. You have bridge and play. night, you have bridge league or whatever, you know? Right. Just due to the fact that this game has so many trillions of possibilities based on what you get dealt. I mean, Every time there's a new hand getting out there, you're just, you, you pick up that card. What am I getting? Am I going to get to call teach you? Do I got a bomb? Uh, do I have a run yet? There's so much tension in getting those cards and that the revelations of getting your hand every time that this game just never gets old. Completely agree. And once you have your hand of cards, 
man, there's no guarantee on what you're doing here either because how you play out those cards can be wildly different, even with the exact cards. Do I lead the long straight? Do I hold them back and jump in when I know I can just swoop in, swoop in for the win? What do I do with that pair of aces? Do I play them as singletons or do I use it to win a large thing of pairs? Man, it, it's it's tough to determine. No, completely agree. And I think that's a good point because in other card games, I'm going to use cribbage here and I'll bet you I'll get somebody being mad at me. It seems like you kind of learn how to cut hands correctly at a certain point in time. Yeah, I think that's a great take. And I don't think you can learn how to play and cut teach you anyway. Every single game is different. You know, you kind of learn how to play. Maybe there's certain things that you and your partner know how to do. Yeah, there's no objectively perfect way to play a hand. There's a very situational way. And you still always have to evaluate based on what other people have played and what they're doing on is now the time I take control and go and run for the end. Or do I kind of slow play it and wait till they've sort of uh, fired too many of their bullets and then catch them unaware? Completely. You add to that the fact that it is a fundamentally a partner's game where you can't communicate makes it super interesting as well. You can signal each other by what cards you pass them and what cards you play, but you can't straight up and just say, okay, this turn, we're going to go for this. We're going to go for that. You can't do that. And there is definitely a level of improvement that you get when playing with partners over time. And that has been exemplified by the fact that now with playing with my family, it is not a guarantee that my wife and I will win when we pair together. My son and daughter are good enough together. They've learned to communicate and play together well enough that they win more than their fair share of times, the two of them against my wife and I. Well, it's just cool that you have like a lifestyle family sized game. You know, you can't have any more kids. You're perfectly set up. This is the reason you have to have two kids. You can't have one. You can't have three. <laughs> we have the perfect teach you family. There it is. And the other thing that's interesting as you play it, the number of times we've had, the play length goes down dramatically. Like you start realizing just getting 25 points here and there is nothing. Who cares? <laughs> I lost that hand. I, we lost 25 points. I, who cares? You're really, I was going for a side bet called teach you or grand teach you. This is a side bet that you're putting for either 100 or 200 points before you play your first cards, or even before you get dealt all your cards, on am I going to go out first? That's where it gets exciting. And once you reach a certain level of play, you realize that somebody's going to win every turn. And if that person predicts it correctly, that the games can be over relatively quickly as you're building up those extra points. Now, if you and your partner both go out before the other two, then you get double points on top of that. And Jake, last time we played, not only did I got a grand teach you, but I got double score on it because both my partner and I went out first. So we literally racked up 400 points out of 500 point game all in one hand. It was beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about teach you forever. We love it. We love playing it. My only apprehension is I don't have the right group for you. The top two for you are games that you've been able to do justice and I haven't been able to. Oh, so I'm going to announce it right here. And right now, Jake, you don't know about this, but I might be in cahoots with the leader of another popular podcast who's been on our show a bunch of times. We are going to do a online streamed grudge match in Tichu versus the train rush. Ooh, that'll be fun. That'll be really fun. Really, really fun. <laughs> yes, we have been formally challenged by Craig Taylor to play Tichu against the train rush. So you and me versus Craig and Joe. So we'll just we'll get that set up sometime here in the next couple of weeks and make it happen. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's an awesome top 20, man. It's always fun hearing from you to do it. But before we kind of sign off, we got to talk about some of the games that fell a whole bunch. I was surprised to not see Feast for Odin on here for sure. So there's a group of excellent games 
that really just got nudged out of the top 20, honestly, by the inclusion of super fillers and 18xxs. Because we included Tichu and small games like that and Glory to Rome, and because we included the 18xx games, some have to get pushed out. And A Feast for Odin and Caverna were both in that pile where had it have not been there, they most likely, at least one of those would have been in the top 20. So A Feast for Odin went from number five down to number 25. Caverna went from number seven down to number 26. Right. Which I guess is more than just getting nudged out. Those fell quite a bit. But the fact of the matter is I still love them, but I've played them both plenty and I think I have other things I'd rather play now. Right. For how much we spoke about Leaving Earth last year, I was also surprised to see how much it fell all the way down to 47 from eight last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, we had a lengthy conversation about, wow, really? And I still love this game, right? I don't have anything bad to say about Leaving Earth and I'm still happy to play it. But I will say the last couple of times have gotten a little samey and I maybe need to double down on getting some of the expansions going on that. I also think we might have given it an extra little shiny last year and it might have been higher than it should have been. Right. Yeah, I think we really liked it. It was right timed when we had it happen. Right. So Leaving Earth, one of the bigger droppers in the list going from eight down to 47. Absolutely. Another one that fell out of the list is uh, Power Grid, went from number 11 down to number 33, and that was primarily just due to the fact that more than a lot of other games has been Always the Bridesmaid, Never the Bride. Like, I don't know why it's hard to get played. Yeah, completely. I don't know. I always like it. I'm surprised you have such a tough time getting it played. We actually did just play it again last week, and it was great. We were all like, well, we got to play this game more often. So, you know, that one may be back in the top 20 next year. You not including Roop in your top 20, by the way, was, I'm going to say offensive. Well, that's not the most offensive part about me not including Root in my top 20. The fact is it wasn't in my top 50 or my top 75. Root went from 12 all the way down to 77 this year. Yet you have the better version of this game. I only have the base version and one expansion. So I had to stop and think about that one a bit. It's I, I still... I still love Root. I don't have any bad things to say about Root other than the fact that it's kind of a pain in the butt. Like every time you play it, somebody's confused at the table and needs to relearn their roles. And, you know, maybe if you played it with the same group all the time and everybody knew their stuff better, it would play out better. But it's been kind of a pain the past few times I've played it. So therefore, soured is the wrong word at it, but maybe there's other things I'd rather play. Gotcha. And then why don't we just run through real quickly the ones that kind of fell out of your top 20 towards the end of it? Sure. The remainder of my list, the things that have fallen out, the Grizzled jumped down from 15 to 35. I don't think I've played the Grizzled since the last time we did made this list. So there's a familiarity thing there. Twilight Struggle went from 16 to 32. I still love Twilight Struggle, but again, the utility of a two-person game that lasts for like six hours means that there are other games that are going to get played more often, and I'm going to get more joy out of it with air quotes. Dungeon Pets fell from 17 to 45. Mm, that one might have gotten unfairly punished. I Maybe that's just because it's an older game in my list. I, I think that's the reason. Uh, the Gallerist went from 18 to 43. Hmm. I don't know why that is. I still love the Gallerist. And then finally, the last one is Glass Road going down from 20 to 60. I think that's more the case that Glass Road maybe never should have been 20 in the first place. That was, I think, your most unabashed hot game from last year. It was right when we were starting to play it. And I was kind of surprised you added up that because I think it's a fine game, but it's so fast. Yeah. Similar to a lot of other games, but I don't know. I didn't think it did anything super special. I don't think it does not have the gravitas of a top 20 game. Gotcha. 
So, yes, I think that's more of just a, a course correction to where it really probably should have been in the first place. And uh, eh, maybe it's a little low, but I still love me some Glass Road. Anyway, if you were wondering where the other Uva Rosenberg games went, well, there are most of them. <laughs> there they are. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see year after year after year how these are going to change because you were much better about doing your top everything. And it's kind of fun when we post these. People need to check out your list. It's fun to see where you stand on everything. I enjoy the exercise of doing it. And to be fair, once you look down the list, right? I mean, could I materially say that the number 86 game is better than the number 103rd game? Sure. I mean, you should just really look at that as saying, hey, these are games that Mark likes pretty good. (laughs) Right. And the other interesting point is what's sitting at the bottom. And well, I'll just leave that for the exercise to the listeners to go out and see those on our website and which games that I have ranked and really don't care for. Awesome. Well, it was uh, wonderful doing with this, you man. I'm really excited to uh, see what's going to happen with mine next week. That was interesting to see. I've, I've had a sneak peek, of course, and I think it'll be a very, very interesting discussion. So you'll have that to look forward to next episode. Awesome. All right. Well, good night, everybody. All right. Hey, we're the Gaming Moguls. For the Moguls, I'm Mark. And I'm Jake. Good night. This has been the Gaming Moguls podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.